Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, caught in the cross lights. Nope, it's not Tiger Woods. It's Washington Wizards guard Gilbert Arena, suspended this week by NBA Commissioner David Stern. We'll tell you all about that and how this could be harming the brand of the NBA. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Tim Lemke. He's a sports business reporter, formerly of the Washington Times. The Times recently cut their sports section, a trend we're seeing more and more this past year with newspapers going out of business. We're going to discuss the slow death of the local newspaper sports section with Tim in segment four. Also, since he's in D.C., we'll talk about the Gilbert Arena story, as well as the hiring of Mike Shanahan to the Washington Redskins. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. If you live in the Portland area, I want to let you know that on February 18th, Sports Business Radio and the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon will launch a sports executive speaker series. We're going to start this in Portland this year. I want to take it outside of Portland in 2011. Our first speaker will be Portland Trailblazers president, Larry Miller. I think you'll enjoy the format of the breakfast that will run from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. It's at the White Stag Building in downtown Portland. I want to invite you to pre-register for the event by going online to warsawcenter.com. That's warsawcenter.com. You can also learn more information about the event at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can always drop me an email at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Headlines sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Coming up next, BCS Bowl Ratings. Flat. Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather. $100 million fight at stake. Biggest grossing fight ever. They can't agree on many things. That fight is in jeopardy. The USOC. They have a new leader. Who is it? We'll tell you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This 
is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, BCS Bowl Game Ratings, not very good. Fox's coverage of its three BCS games averaged a 7.9 final Nielsen rating, 13.4 million viewers. Basically, all of the games were flat with last year. The game that was on ABC, the Rose Bowl, Oregon-Ohio State got a 13.1 rating. That's up 12% from last year. At the time we're taping this show, we don't have the final ratings for the BCS National Championship game, which was on ABC. Uh, Like I said earlier, ABC had the Rose Bowl, and that game had better ratings than the games on Fox. And don't forget, Fox is a lame duck. They don't have the BCS anymore. ABC, ESPN has the BCS games going forward. But, you know, it was kind of a regional matchup. So I wonder how good will the ratings be? Were there people in New York, in Miami, in Los Angeles watching this game? We'll have those numbers for you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Our next headline, top-ranked chair Bob Arum said this week that a proposed March 13th Floyd Mayweather Jr. Manny Pacquiao bout, it's collapsed and the fight is off and last-ditch efforts at mediation failed this week. And the main uh, thing that the fighters couldn't agree on was the drug testing protocol. And, you know, Bobby, a few weeks ago we talked about how great this would be for boxing. Boxing has lost so many fans to MMA. And this would be the highest grossing fight ever. It would set pay-per-view records. And each fighter would probably make $50 million a piece minimum. And it's amazing to me that they can't find a way to make this work with so much money at stake. No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, we had always said that this fight would be the one that kind of brought boxing back. Well, this fight looks like it just gave boxing its knockout punch that, you know, they were trying to avoid. And it's looking ugly. And if this fight's not going to happen, you can pretty much kiss boxing goodbye. Well, and Pacquiao is going to continue with his lawsuit against Mayweather for defamation, where he basically, uh, the Mayweather camp said, or they question that Pacquiao, you know, may be using performance-enhancing drugs. So, look, I mean, the bottom line on this is that there's very few places where you actually get to settle disputes with your fists. And these guys could settle it in the ring, but instead they're probably going to settle it in a courtroom. Our next headline, Scott Blackman was introduced as the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee this week. Blackman signed a four-year agreement with the USOC. His base salary is going to be $450,000. Blackman served as the organization's interim CEO back in 2000. He's currently a partner with the law firm Holm, Roberts, and Owen. He beat out USA Swimming CEO Chuck Weigas for the job. This is going to be interesting. If you remember, uh, Mr. Tagliabue was hired, former NFL commissioner, to come in and lead the hiring of a new CEO. We know that the USOC has not been held in high regard by the international community, mostly the IOC. And, um, you know, we're going to see if Mr. Blackman can come in and change the way people think about the USOC. And we know that big change is coming about after 
the Chicago Olympics bid failed, Bobby. No, absolutely. And, you know, the guy gets a test in his first few weeks on the job. I mean, he's got the Winter Olympics in Vancouver. And listen, there's no better place to, you know, deal with the international community than when you'd have to, you know, go overseas for an Olympic event. And that's what he gets in his first few days. Our next headline, Dan Snyder, the meddling owner of the Washington Redskins, maybe one of the second worst owners in the NFL next to Al Davis. He has another head coach. This time it's Mike Shanahan, winner of two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos. Bruce Allen was hired as the GM. Both men have the title executive vice president of football operations. Supposedly Shanahan has the final say on personnel decision. This will be interesting to see if this works out. Can Snyder finally hand over operations of his football team to people who know football instead of meddling and, you know, Paying, overpaying for players. This will be interesting. Now, the happiest guy about this hiring this week of Shanahan, it's Denver Broncos owner Pat Bolin because this gets him off the hook for $7 million that he would have had to have paid Shanahan had Shanahan sat out and not find another job. No, absolutely. And, you know, this is a classic case of somebody that buys a professional sports team and runs it like his own fantasy football using real players. Yeah, he definitely has been running it like fantasy football. The Redskins, huge brand, and, you know, they've probably increased in value about $500 million since Snyder bought the team, so you do have to give him some credit there. All right, I tweeted this week about Tiger Woods and his publicist, a guy named Glenn Greenspan. Tiger, about a year and a half ago, hired Greenspan away from Augusta National, where the Masters has played, and my sources tell me this week that Greenspan is calling all the shots with what I think is a disastrous PR effort ever since Tiger had his car accident the morning after Thanksgiving. I also tweeted this week that Greenspan, Tiger's publicist, and Mark Steinberg with IMG, Tiger's agent, are not on the same page with how these strategies have played out. So it's going to be very interesting to see from here you know, Tiger's going to have to talk at some point. He's probably going to get back on a golf course in 2010. And when he does, the cameras are going to be there. So does he do an interview with an Oprah or someone before he gets on a golf course? Does he just walk on a course and he and Greenspan think that no one's going to follow him and the story's just going to go away because we have stories like Gilbert Arenas this week? I don't know. But this is a disastrous PR campaign that we're seeing. And Glenn Greenspan, formerly of Augusta National, he's the gentleman who's riding shotgun and calling the shots for Tiger. And, you know, it's funny. We talk on the show all the time. If you make a mistake, come out, have a press conference, fall on the sword, you'll be respected for it in the end. Or do an interview. Or do an interview, but at least get out there, literally, you know, and I hate saying this, and I've said it a few times on the show, there's rumors that Tiger's not alive anymore. Because nobody's heard or seen from him. Oh, he's alive. I'm sure. I'm sure he is, but it's one of those things, though. Nobody has seen him. You know, he needs to be out there somewhere, somehow. Somebody's got to say something, and somebody's got to see Tiger. Yeah, if Greenspan thinks that they can say nothing and ride this out, and this story's just going to disappear, he's the worst publicist I've ever heard of. And, you know, for how he's handled this, I think that alone puts him into that category of uh, people who— Uh, have not handled crises very well at all. Speaking of crises, our next segment, Caught in the Crosslights, our PR Nightmare of the Week. It's not Tiger Woods. 
There's a new replacement for Tiger Woods. Who is it? You'll find out next. Stick around. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, Tiger Woods has been replaced as our athlete with the PR nightmare of the week. We have a new member of the club. And it's a member who could potentially lose a hundred million dollars. And there's only two other members of that club, Michael Vick and Tiger Woods. Gilbert Arenas, welcome to the club. Gilbert Arenas is in the second year of a six-year, $111 million contract. As of this past Wednesday, he had $9.4 million remaining on his contract for this season. Gilbert Arenas was suspended this week indefinitely by NBA Commissioner David Stern. He's going to lose $150,000 per game, approximately. Why was Gilbert Arenas suspended? Well, really two reasons. One, he brought firearms to his locker at the Verizon Center where the Washington Wizards play their home games. Firearms are not allowed at NBA facilities, practice facilities, arenas. Oh, and by the way, it's a felony in the District of Columbia. They have some of the toughest gun laws in the United States. And I don't know if Gilbert Arenas has heard of Plaxico Burris, but he may be headed to the big house just like Plaxico. That remains to be seen. The other reason Gilbert Arenas was suspended this week is because he callously and casually tweeted this week and kind of mocked NBA Commissioner David Stern, seemed to be making light of his situation. And then in pregame warmups on Tuesday and introductions, he pretended to be shooting guns at his teammates. Obviously, again, making light of his situation. NBA Commissioner David Stern had had enough. Look, the problem for the NBA is that over the last decade or 15 years, some have labeled it a thug league. We've seen the brawl at the Palace in Detroit and Ron Artest. We've seen other players get in trouble with the law. And the last thing the NBA wants 
is the image of one of its players, especially a player who is earning $111 million in the nation's capital, bringing guns to the arena and storing them in his locker. Bobby Corser, this is really bad for the NBA because you've got sponsors and people like that who frown on this type of behavior. Sure you do. And, you know, anytime that you bring negative light to the NBA, you know that people are going to, you know, instantly magnify the glass on you because they don't like negative attention. And anytime you bring a weapon into the situation, it's not good. Now, Gilbert Arenas, after the suspension was handed down, had this to say, and I quote, I feel very badly that my actions have caused the NBA to suspend me, but I understand why the league took this action. I put the NBA in a negative light, and I let my teammates and our fans down. I'm very sorry for doing that. While I never intended any harm or disrespect to the NBA or anyone else, my gun possession at the Verizon Center and my attempts at humor showed terrible judgment. I take full responsibility for my conduct. Earlier today, I called Commissioner Stern to apologize, and I hope we will be able to talk soon. I look forward to the day I can return to basketball. In the meantime, I will focus on dealing responsibly with this serious situation, and I will continue to cooperate fully with the investigations by law enforcement and NBA authorities. Here's the There's two big problems for Gilbert Arenas going forward. A, like I said, he may go to jail like Plaxico Burris did. B, he's got a lot of money remaining on his contract, and I can promise you, especially sources that I've talked to this week, the Wizards' ownership and the lawyers are going to do everything in their power to terminate the remainder of his contract. And, you know, I think you're going to see clauses in the future of player contracts that talk about weapon possession and things of that nature being grounds for terminating contracts. Now, if the Wizards are able to terminate Gilbert Arenas' contract, all of a sudden, they become major players this summer, a summer where LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Amari Stoudemire, and many others are on the free agent market. They kind of get a mulligan because Gilbert Arenas has not come back to the form that he displayed before he hurt his knee and before he got that big contract from the late Abe Poland. So, you know, in some ways, I think... The Players Association obviously is going to try and defend Gilbert Arenas, but I just don't know how they defend him here. And I also think Billy Hunter, the head of the Players Association, he knows that it doesn't portray NBA players in a positive light when you have someone possessing guns and bringing them to arena. I mean, really, we've never seen a story like this where uh, not only have you brought guns to an arena, but reportedly... You and your teammate brandished guns against each other, and this was all the basis reportedly of a disagreement on a gambling debt, which is another story altogether, which is something that, you know, especially in the NBA, but in other pro sports, that's a problem. Guys wager on team planes, they play cards, they play other games, they do shooting games after practice. And, you know, if you owe someone a few thousand dollars, sometimes things get heated, and it definitely, at the very least, really ruins the chemistry of some of the teammates. No, sure it does. And, you know, listen, as I heard somebody talk, you know, this week as they've been discussing this, I said, listen, for one, why do you need to bring a gun, one, to the locker room? I mean, 
in all theory, the NBA locker room and the NBA arena is the safest spot for athletes to be because you know nobody's going to have guns, you think. Well, you thought. Yeah, you thought. And, you know, something that turns it back to us is, you know, you and I spend a lot of time in locker rooms. You know, we cover the NBA. We cover teams. You know, what would... You know, what would somebody do if somebody asked a question to a, a player, the player didn't like you and he had a gun in his locker? What's, you know, what's he there to stop him from pulling the gun now on a reporter and threatening him because he asked him a question? We know it probably won't happen, but now it's one of those things that people will be thinking about. You know, does this guy have a gun? Did he bring it to the locker room? You know, it's just one of those things where now people are having to think. And you're right. There's no place for having weapons in an NBA locker room. There just isn't. I, I'm all for gun ownership, and that's fine but not in the locker room. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see what Commissioner David Stern does from here. He's suspended Gilbert Arenas indefinitely. Obviously, there's the legal portion of this. What does the District of Columbia do? Do they prosecute Gilbert Arenas? Does he go to jail? But then also, you know, in a worst-case scenario for Gilbert Arenas, he doesn't play in the NBA anymore. He's banished from the league. And we've seen that Commissioner Stern comes down hard with punishments, whether it's against Ron Artest or others. And I think, again, this is something that hasn't happened in sports, at least that we know of, where teammates have brandished guns against each other. This is the last image that David Stern wants for his league, that he wants to portray to sponsors. So I don't think we've heard the end of this story, and I think there's going to be serious consequences for Gilbert Arenas in the future. All right, coming up next, Tim Lemke. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area. He is formerly of the Washington Times. The Times has cut their sports section, unfortunately. Tim is without a job. He's still reporting on the business of sports. We're going to talk to him about Gilbert Arenas. We'll talk to him about Mike Shanahan. And we're also going to discuss the future of the local sports section in your newspaper. Where is it going? It's an interesting conversation to discuss. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is one of the most well-respected sports business reporters in America. His name is Tim Lemke. You can find him online at www.timlemkesports.com. He's a former sports business reporter for the Washington Times. Tim, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. So you're out in Washington, D.C. I want to begin the conversation. Two big stories this week in Washington, D.C. Number one, uh, Gilbert Arena suspended by the NBA. NBA Commissioner David Stern takes a hard stance with Gilbert Arenas. 
Where do you think this story goes? How do you think it plays out? I think this this could really get bad for for Arenas and his teammate uh, Crittenden because you know you're talking about uh, guns in a locker room. It's something the NBA has been really trying to uh, to get rid of a lot of this bad behavior with guns, and we see it pop up every once in a while. But it's a real big no-no to bring a gun into a locker room. They don't have a problem with athletes owning guns, but you start bringing it into an NBA arena, it's a problem. If you look at Gilbert Arenas' situation, you know, a lot of the suspension, of course, actually comes from the way he handled it after uh, the reports of, of the gun, in, gun incident came out in terms of uh, getting on Twitter and, and, you know, basically going on sort of a 24-hour Twitter binge, which uh, is something that the NBA kind of frowns upon as well. I think normally in these situations, the leagues oftentimes try to let the legal process uh, – play out to some degree before suspending a guy. That's not the case uh, here. So I wouldn't be surprised. You're looking at an indefinite suspension. There's some talk of him actually being out of the league altogether. I think the Wizards, at the very least, may try and pursue avoiding uh, his contract. He's owed you know, $100 million in that Wizards contract. I think a lot of Wizards fans would love to get out from under that as well. Yeah, I mean, it would allow them to go after some very big free agents this summer and kind of uh, take a mulligan on that signing. And, you know, I know they're trying to move a few other players, Karan Butler, Antoine Jameson as well. You know, from the NBA standpoint, you're right. Uh, it They've got all these sponsors, and the last thing the sponsors want is the thug mentality that, uh, you know, this portrays for the NBA. And David Stern had done such a good job of cleaning up that mentality. And there are a number of really clean, uh, talented players in the NBA. But when stories like this crop up, uh, I'm sure it drives the commissioner crazy. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you look a few years ago, the NBA went through a period where everybody thought that every player in the NBA was a thug. Because right. you had the, the brawl incident in Detroit. You had the, the jailblazers uh, out in Portland. And it was just this perception that, that – that everybody in the NBA was constantly getting in trouble. It was probably a bit of an unfair uh, characterization of what was going on, but it seemed like there was incident after incident. And I think the NBA did a pretty good job of, of cleaning up its image and for the most part uh, was keeping players in line. You didn't hear about these types of incidents anymore. So that when, you know, when this happens, I think David Stern, I think, is, is, is pretty dismayed by it all. Um, and he's not taking it very lightly. And it's not something that uh, the, the companies that partner with the NBA – and their players are, are going to take lightly either. Well, and I saw the statement from the family of the late Abe Poland, and boy, Abe Poland's rolling in his grave this week because this is something that he would have never stood for. I mean, here's a gentleman who changed the name of the team from the Bullets to the Wizards, and yeah. you know, it's just ironic that this story comes up shortly after his death. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is actually uh, disappointing that Gilbert would have engaged in this behavior shortly after A. Poland's death, because A. Poland really, he took a chance and signed Gilbert Arenas to a lot of money. And he said, yeah, look, you're my guy. A. Poland, he knew he was probably, you know, not long for this world. And he said, all right, I'm going to take a chance and spend $120 million on this guy, make a last-ditch run of the championship. And he said, you know, I believe in you. And, and, and this is what Gilbert Arenas turns around and does. You know, and it, it's it's funny. After A. Pollitt passed away, there was a lot of uh, speculation that perhaps the new ownership, uh, who would be uh, Ted Leontis, once uh, 
the transfer of, of ownership takes place, there was you know some speculation that he would change the team name back to uh, the Bullets because there's a lot of affection associated with those those old teams from the 70s, and it, they see it as kind of a throwback uh, to a, a better time. I don't see the name change happening after all this has gone down. No, I don't see it happening either. Last question on this topic. Uh, explain to us the process with the transfer of ownership uh, from the Poland family to Ted Leonsis. Uh, when will that be complete? I think it, it should happen in fairly short order. The you know There was sort of an agreement in place uh, that that Ted Leonsis had the right of first refusal. He has said he plans to exercise that right. Uh, the sale price, of course, was not set, um, and there's a lot of minority partners involved as well. And so I, 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 it's unclear exactly where they are in the process. I think right now they're sort of negotiating uh, kind of what is the value of the team, uh, you know, what investors may or may not be needed, how much cash is actually available on hand, uh, my sense is because the death of A. Poland was not a surprise that Ted Leonsis and his partners kind of had their ducks in a row. Um, but, you know, the economy is different, too. These guys may not have be as wealthy as they were, say, a year ago. So it may require a certain amount of, of borrowing um, and some additional maybe investment help along those lines. Um, that's one thing that's been really sort of tough to get at is how much, how much cash on hand did Ted Leonsis actually have. Um, but I would expect – probably by the start of next season, uh, that the, the ownership uh, transfer will uh, will be complete. Let's talk about the other big story in D.C. this week. Dan Snyder, who changes coaches about as often as most people change their undershorts, hires another coach, Mike Shanahan. This after uh, a few weeks ago, he hired Bruce Gilbert. Both men have the title of executive vice president of football operations. I guess Shanahan's going to have the last word on personnel decisions. Does this signify finally Dan Snyder saying, I will not meddle in football operations anymore, and I'm going to turn that over to guys that know what they're doing? Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, Daniel Snyder is known for, for liking to, to have his say in things. But certainly if you look at the way the ownership and uh, coaching structure was in Denver, Mike Shanahan really had final say, and Pat Bowen really kind of let Mike Shanahan do his thing. And I don't think Mike Shanahan would have agreed to come here if he didn't believe that he had a similar uh, level of, of control over things. And, you know, Dan Snyder, he, he, he did what I think was probably a difficult thing for him, which was uh, firing Vinny Serrato, uh, bringing in a couple guys who actually had some really good football experience. And, and Mike Shanahan is a guy that I think will uh, have a great deal of say in, in personnel. He'll be able to kind of shop for his own groceries, so to speak, and so this does mark a kind of shift in the way the Redskins have operated since Dan Snyder took over the team. The proof will be, you know, in the pudding when we start to see next season when, uh, you know, we start to bring in guys, if there's any free agent signings, and how they do, uh, you know, at, during draft time as well. We could be looking at an uncapped season next year. Do you think Dan Snyder, I mean, there's been talk Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones may go wild, all of the, the Red Sox and Yankees, and have a spending spree. What do you expect? I think there'll be some of that. I, you know, I, I, these guys can't help themselves. I mean, we saw Dan Snyder, you know, every year it seems, with the exception of maybe one or two, he has to make a big splash. Last year it was, uh, you know, the signing of Albert Hainsworth. Right. To the extent that he can, I think he will go out and spend money. Um, but, you know, 
there will be an uncapped year, but I think one thing people need to realize is there are certain restrictions in place in terms of how much teams can spend on free agents. One of the interesting things about the Redskins, though, is that they didn't make the playoffs this year. And one of the rules about the uncapped year is that if you make the playoffs, there will be a restriction on the number of, of major free agents you can sign. So the Redskins won't be bound to the same restrictions as, say, the Cowboys, who just won the NFC East. Um, there will be the money, but I think there, there are certain restrictions about player movement that will keep some of that in check. But I, I would certainly expect the Redskins to be active. They have the money to spend, and I would expect them to spend it. We're joined by Tim Lemke. You can find him online at www.timlemkesports.com. He's a former sports business reporter for the Washington Times. That brings me to my next topic. I'm sure we could spend uh, an entire show on this, Tim, but let's talk briefly about the fate and the role of the traditional newspaper sports section in the United States. I mean, here's some numbers. I mean, just last year, over 100 newspapers folded. 10,000 newspaper jobs were lost. Print ad sales were down across the country 30%. Uh, Circulation down as much as 20% in some markets. Really different landscape now. I know this is a broad question, but where do you see the sports section and the traditional newspaper going? Well, they'll they'll go sort of wherever their their newspapers go. You know, I think as long as the uh, the newspapers exist, I would hope there would be a sports section as well. Although, in my personal case, you know, I I was laid off from the Washington Times last week when the ownership made a decision to eliminate sports. They're continuing to publish, but it's a much more narrow sort of niche political publication. Uh, I think because we're located in Washington, that's a business decision they might be able to get away with. Um, Most general newspapers, general interest newspapers, probably couldn't make that type of decision. Um, But I think you are starting to see sports sections downsize greatly. Uh, You see that you're seeing beat writers travel considerably less. You're seeing traditional newspapers uh, make the decision to not send their reporters to major events. Um, and so what is happening is you're there, I think there is a general feeling that the major events and a lot of the big stories will be covered by some of the larger national outlets like ESPN.com and some of the, the newspapers that are still doing okay, like the New York Times and a few others, um, as well as Internet publications like Yahoo, AOL FanHouse, and, and Fox Sports, and the sports sections will remain, you know, very much sort of localized. And, you know, in a way, maybe that's the most sensible thing to do, because you kind of have to ask yourself, if I'm the, let's say, the Detroit Free Press, and the Super Bowl is taking place in Miami, and it's between the Patriots and the, the Eagles, you know, what, what can the free press really bring to the table that's unique and interesting to their readers? Um, Given the the reach and the you know the access of, of online stuff, the live game prod, broadcast, live play by play, and all the analysis on you know on social media sites and so forth, you know I think papers like that sort of have to ask themselves, okay, what am I bringing to the table? Is it worth it for me to actually uh, spend the money to send a guy to a major event like that? And I think that's a legitimate business question. So you'll start to see that. Um, you know, I, I would hate to live in a world where traditional sports sections go away completely, but I don't think anyone thought that the, the landscape of, of just uh, journalism in general would would uh, be as 
down low as it is as it is now. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Printing and distribution, those are the two major costs for newspapers. Some newspapers have tried to go it alone just online. Do you think that's a model that may work? I mean, it seems to me that advertisers, you know, they're spending more and more money online advertising. Do you think that there are some papers that might be able to exist online and then you eliminate those two major expenses of printing and distribution? I think it can work. Um you know, one of the problems, though, is, and I think one of the reasons that, that newspapers have gotten themselves is in trouble is that as they try to shift a lot of their news coverage to the Internet, um, the advertisers didn't come quite as quickly as they thought they would. They, they, they weren't, you know, newspapers were not really able to replicate the ad sales that they had in the newspaper to online. And so I think overall, if you go online, you're probably going to end up seeing a fairly sizable reduction in revenue. You'll see a reduction in cost, but you'll also see a reduction in revenue. And so the most successful publications are the ones that will try to, you know, thrive with a very, very sleek, lean operation. And if you look at a lot of these online publications, you know, I, I look at an example of something like, uh, like Huffington Post. I know it's not a sports section, but everybody sort of says, well, that's the new model of journalism. I looked on their website the other day. They have four full-time reporters. You know, the rest are basically all, uh, you know, freelancers and, and columnists that are paid, you know, on, on some sort of, you know, per-story basis. And that's the way you see it. AOL Fanhouse is another example. In terms of the number of full-time staff members, it's not that much. And then they have a lot of freelancers, and that's sort of how they manage to get by. So you'll probably see a lot of sections moved online only, but their coverage may not be as robust. I mean, I guess the real challenge is you look at Craigslist where you can run an ad for free, you can show your product, you can link to the pictures of your product. Why would you buy a newspaper ad if you can run something for free on Craigslist? You know, Macy's, you can email your customers instead of running that special section advertising your sale that's coming up. I mean, that's the real challenge, and it's sad because – you know, investigative reporting and, and reporters like yourself who are on top of so many terrific stories, you guys are the casualties because the advertisers aren't there like they used to be. And those advertisers are also losing money because consumers don't have as much money to spend as they used to. Right. No, exactly. I mean, you, you touched on a good point, which I failed to mention, which is the loss of classified ads. I mean, that is that is a very significant thing that's just not coming back. And so, you know, you have to look at the – newspapers have to look and figure out what will the business model be going forward. And no one has really figured it out yet. Will there be a, you know, going back to a a pay for for content model? Uh, I think a lot of people used to be, you know, steadfastly against that concept, um, sort of philosophically believing that, you know, information should be free and and so forth. But I think you're starting to see maybe an attitude – that perhaps we need to start going back to charging people to subscribe. I mean, after all, news gathering is expensive. If you're a newspaper that that is going to have a you know all these people who are highly trained, you know, experienced and going out doing investigative reporting. Um, a lot of publications are sending reporters into war zones and 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 you know doing foreign coverage. I mean, that's expensive. And to suggest that you know that's a, a commodity that should be provided for free. I think that's something that is, is, is a big question mark. And so I think that may be one of the trends in the next few years is we may see people dip their toe into the 
you know, the notion of, of back to paying to subscribe for content. I think people will see people try it. A sports example of that is, you know, I look at ESPN.com and, you know, they've got their insider and you pay, right. you know, a premium for getting the insider columns and the information and the rumors and some of the podcasts and, and things like that. And, you know, I have no idea what their numbers are and how many people are paying for that content, but it used to be free and now they're charging for it. So that will be an interesting mentality, like you said, to see, will people pay for things that they used to get for free? Right. You know, ESPN did a smart thing, which is that they you know, had a lot of content that was free, um, a lot of columnists, a lot of blogs that were free, and then they sort of looked at it, and, and it got to the point where it was sort of like must-have content, and they got away with charging for it because people said, look, I, I need to be able to read Buster these blog. I want to read the latest columns from – from Peter Gammons, I need to read about from Keith Law, and those guys who are excellent, excellent reporters, and they provide content that people said to themselves, all right, I'm willing to pay for this because it's stuff that I, you know, have relied on and that I'm willing to, to pay for. So there is, I think, a lot of pressure on the, the, you know, the publications to provide content that is worthy of someone paying for. You know, you can't just go out and and, and do some basic stuff. You really need to to provide content that is unique and interesting and, and good. Um, you know, you look at an organization like Baseball Prospectus, you know, they're a full subscription website, but they have some statistical uh, information about baseball and some columns and other things that is, is very exclusive, very interesting, and uh, it, it's something that people are willing to pay, you know, maybe $30 a year for. Right. Well, Tim, like I said at the beginning of this interview, we could talk about this the entire show. I definitely want to have you back on in the future to talk about this topic and many others. Tell people, again, how they can uh, follow you. Well, I'm doing some blogging at uh, www.timlemkesports.com, and uh, my Twitter feed is uh, Tim Lemke Sports. So uh, follow me there, and uh, it's been great being on. I really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you joining me, and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Okay, take care. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, We'll help you practice your new skills, and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, with the Super Bowl coming up, word is starting to leak about some of the spots that may run. One spot may feature Cavaliers forward LeBron James and Magic Center Dwight Howard, along with Pacers president of basketball operations Larry Bird. 
in a McDonald's spot. If you remember the famous horse campaign with Bird and Jordan, this may be a commercial based on that spot. This is according to our friend Brian Windhorst at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. This would be the third spot that LeBron James has starred in for a Super Bowl. He starred in a Bubblicious gum ad in 2005. And last year, he starred in a State Farm spot. I liked that Jordan Bird spot. It'll be interesting to see if they do run this spot, but uh, hopefully it's done with the same kind of taste that that other one was done with, and it's not too corny. Absolutely, and you know, it was one of those classic spots that, you know, no matter when you see it, you always look back and like, you know, this was one of those really, really cool commercials. The other news about the Super Bowl, the NFL for the first time is selling fans access to the field after the Super Bowl as the league attempts to grab a bigger slice of the hospitality market. This is according to Michael McCarthy of USA Today. So basically 700 fans are being invited onto the field after the Super Bowl February 7th at Dolphin Stadium. Tickets are on sale at NFLOnLocation.net. They run anywhere from $5,700 to $9,700 depending on seat location. Customers get their game ticket, four nights of hotel accommodations, pre- and post-game parties, preferred parking, and other goodies. So about 15 minutes after the presentation of the Vince Lombardi Trophy, the league will begin cycling the 700 fans who paid for this access onto the field. Each fan's going to get about 30 minutes on the field. They can hang out with the players, hang out with the reporters, and be part of the hubbub following the game. Interesting. want to thank our guest, Tim Lemke. Follow him at timlemkesports.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. You can listen via our browser or on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at S. B Radio. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for listening. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Malouf. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.